Hello, and welcome to Ask the Admin. I'm Daily News Managing Editor Georgia Rosenberg, and you're listening to the third episode of our new series where we aim to connect the broader Stanford community with some of the university's top administrators. Today, my fellow News Managing Editor Cameron Pack and I will be sitting down with President Mark Tessier-Levine to discuss Stanford's major goals for this year and the university's vision for free speech on campus. The issue of free speech at Stanford is a complex one, especially as it relates to the fundamental standard and the fact that the university is subject to state and federal free speech protections. The fundamental standard is an aspirational document outlining Stanford's standard of conduct. It states that students, quote, are expected to show both within and without the university such respect for order, morality, personal honor, and the rights of others as is demanded of good citizens, including by upholding freedom of speech. This also includes the expectation that students, quote, respect and uphold the rights and dignity of others, regardless of race, color, national or ethnic origin, sex, age, disability, religion, sexual orientation, gender identity, or socioeconomic status. If students fail to uphold the standard, they could face disciplinary action and be removed from the university. But the fundamental standard isn't the only university policy related to free speech on campus. This week, Stanford announced the new Protected Identity Harm Reporting Process, which aims to support students harmed by bias-related incidents. So let's get started. I'll pass it over to Cameron, who will be asking our first question. So before we dive into the fundamental standard, we'd love to get a picture of your life and responsibilities as president. What is your role as university president and what does your day-to-day look like? Well, thank you, Cameron. First, I wanna thank you for inviting me to be part of this series. I think it's really great that you're doing this podcast series for our community. Um, and, uh, and I also just wanna say a few words about um, you know, the start of the new year. I have to say, it's just great um, to be back on campus, uh, to see so many students. If you think about the last 18 months when our campus was so quiet, to feel all this life come back with our students here and so many faculty and staff as well. There's just huge energy. I get so energized by it. Um, uh, I get so much joy out of interacting with the students and seeing how excited they are to, to be back here. Um, I'm, I'm also uh, just, so excited that we're starting the year with a Nobel Prize uh, in economics to one of our faculty members, uh, Hito Imbens, which just reminds us of how amazing our faculty are, uh, how amazing our students are. It's, and it's great to be focusing on things beyond the pandemic. Um, in terms of uh, my role, uh, which you ask about, um, at the highest level, my, my role is about moving forward uh, the big priorities of the university. So to help Stanford succeed, to help our community thrive, um, of course, I do this along with the other members of the, the leadership team, our provosts, the vice presidents, the vice provosts and deans. Uh, I'd say at the highest level, our, our role is to enable every member of our community, our students, our faculty, our staff, uh, thrive and be all they can be and more. Um, so, so my day is really about working with members of the university community, uh, as well as people outside the university, uh, to advance the, the major priorities of the university. And, and maybe I can give you a few examples of uh, leading priorities uh, for me this year. Um, the first one, as we come back to campus after um, uh, you know, 18 months of being away, uh, the top priority really is the renewal of our community for our, our students. It's enabling our students, in spite of some continued restrictions, to have as fulfilling an experience as possible. 
uh, on campus for our staff. Um, we're uh, uh, working on flexible work arrangements, trying to strike a balance between the need to have staff uh, uh, on campus um, uh, for various functions and activities, but also uh, with uh, uh, strike a balance with the desire of many staff to uh, have the opportunity to spend at least some time working from home after a year and a half uh, of that. Uh, people have learned how to do that. Uh, so we're experimenting with flexible work arrangements um, this fall and, and hope to come to, to some uh, uh, conclusions uh, early in the, um, uh, the new year. Uh, that's a top priority. Uh, another priority is, of course, advancing our educational and research initiatives uh, that came out of uh, all of the planning that gave rise to our long-range vision. In terms of education, uh, some of these include, um, you know, the implementing the college curriculum, which uh, the, the freshman class is taking this year. I'm very excited about that, as well as uh, really um, uh, implementing uh, the uh, the ResX initiative uh, with the creation of the neighborhoods. Um, for um, uh, all of our students. Uh, a lot of things to work through there. In terms of research, uh, our schools have priorities. There are initiatives that came out of the long range vision, uh, foremost among them, um, as you know, the, the creation of the new school focused on climate and sustainability. Uh, all of those require a lot of work and, and a big part of my job in supporting this is also to do the fundraising that will enable all of these, uh, these um, initiatives to be implemented. Um, maybe I can just mention two other um, areas of, of high priority. Uh, one is um, our ideal initiative that's focused on uh, diversity, um, uh, equity, and inclusion, advancing inclusion and racial justice uh, on our campus, where we've been working at this for many years. Uh, it's accelerated and been augmented in the last year. Uh, we have a lot of momentum, uh, uh, but and I believe we've made some progress, but there's still so much work to be done. And then the last one is, uh, and this occupies a lot of my time too, is uh, focusing on the external environment. Uh, for example, uh, uh, working in Washington, both directly ourselves and with our peers on issues related to, um, for example, immigration and visas to enable our international students uh, to come here. Um, uh, working you know, to continue to push for a legislative solution for DACA students um, and also the support, governmental support of research funding. So those are some of my top, um, uh, priorities, and I hope it illustrates what I do on a day-to-day -day basis and how that fits with uh, major priorities of the, the university. Awesome, thank you. Now I wanna transition a little bit and ask you uh, about how as president, you're thinking about the issue of free speech on campus and how the fundamental standard plays into your duties. Right, well, the, this issue of, of free speech is a, a challenging one, it's very timely, so I'm, I'm very happy to, to discuss it with you. Um, you know, the, the, the highest level, uh, uh, the way we approach this is by thinking about our mission as a university. And, and a foundational aspect of our mission is that the university has to be a place that uh, supports and nurtures a diversity of ideas uh, and viewpoints. It's really fundamental both to our, our research mission, which is you know, seeking truth. Uh, we know that uh, to do that, it's often necessary to consider uh, viewpoints that may seem strange or, or at times controversial, uh, that's true in all fields. It's also uh, essential to our educational mission to, to prepare students for a world in which you will all have to engage with diverse points of view. Every single day you're going to be bombarded with them, so we would be failing our students if we didn't expose you to a diversity of views. So that's really foundational uh, and, uh, and we see as a, uh, a very important role for the, the university leadership and administration to 
create an environment where a diversity of views can, uh, can flourish. Now, problems arise um, uh, in a number of ways. And, and one is that uh, some speech can have the effect of silencing others. Some people may use their speech rights to try to silence others, or, or uh, which can shut down learning um, by cowing individuals. Um, so they, they don't express their views. They don't take intellectual risks by exploring different ideas. And of course, that is counter to the mission of the university. Um, because of that, uh, we have to very forcefully try to model a community in which discussion can occur that's, that's reason, that's, that's evidence-based, uh, that's rooted in curiosity. Yes, it can be vigorous, but it must be respectful of one another and not have the effect of shutting down um, uh, the conversation. Another problem, of course, is we, we recognize that some speech can be offensive um, and even hurtful, and I'm, I'm sure we'll be talking about this more. And so we, we, um, we really need an environment where um, uh, we recognize that hurt can occur. We have to recognize when it has occurred and where students feel supported um, uh, through that. So those uh, at the highest level is, is um, uh, how we approach this, and I'm sure we'll talk about uh, several details. Yeah, thank you so much. And I guess going off of that, I wanted to ask in more specific, like what types of speech are protected versus which ones are violations of the fundamental standard. And also I was wondering like if you can hold students accountable for like their speech if they're like not even on campus. So like now with everything being online, if something hurtful said like online from somewhere else or in a setting where a Stanford student saying something um, while they're not physically on campus, like how would you go about navigating those processes? Right. So the, and, and maybe I can, can uh, uh, touch on different aspects of your, your question. Um, and I think it's important to clarify first that uh, as we think about the issue of, of free speech and expression, the, the fundamental standard is only part of it. And, and maybe I can explain there that um, the, the fundamental standard, uh, I think uh, uh, all the students listening to this have, have read it, they know it, it's a very short, I think 44 word uh, statement. It's an aspirational statement of the expectations uh, that we have a community, as a community have of, of our students uh, here on campus. Um, the fundamental standards actually applied through uh, what's called the Student Judicial Charter. Uh, and as such, it's not actually under the purview of the president. It's under the, the, the purview of the uh, Board of Judicial Affairs, which involves staff, faculty, students. In fact, if a case is heard, um, a student actually chairs the panel. Um, so, uh, but what's important to understand here is that in, in the area of speech and expression, the fundamental standard is relevant, um, but there are other things that are just as important, um, in some cases more so, in informing how we approach the issues. And um, uh, I'll mention a few. One I've, I've already mentioned, but I think it, it really is important to reiterate that our, our mission requires a robust exchange uh, of a diversity of ideas. And, and this is actually enshrined in our statement on academic freedom of the, the faculty senate um, uh, that uh, says that the university must encourage, um, and I'm quoting here, that the widest range of viewpoints free from institutional orthodoxy. Um, the whole idea, again, is to uh, ensure that a diversity of viewpoints um, uh, are enabled. Uh, there's also another uh, uh, aspect to this, um, which is a legal aspect. Uh, being in Cal California, there's something called the Leonard Law. Uh, that uh, holds that private universities in California, which we are one, uh, can't discipline students for speech that's protected under the, the First Amendment. So 
that law obviously um, uh, is very important in thinking about uh, uh, how we approach uh, issues uh, of free speech and, and which ones are protected. I think your question was which ones are protected um, versus violations of, of, of the, the fundamental standard and, and also um, uh, and also what happens with social media, I guess, uh, you're talking about students off campus. Um, so in, in thinking about protected versus unprotected, um, there's actually, uh, I, I really encourage you uh, to go to a very helpful website um, or a link on the Stanford website. Uh, it's called Freedom of Speech and the Fundamental Standard. It really goes into detail about how uh, freedom of speech intersects with the fundamental standard. And, and again, um, uh, as I just mentioned, under the Leonard Law, we can't discipline um, uh, students for speech that's protected under the First Amendment. Now, there are kinds of speech that are unprotected, um, uh, as you were asking, uh, and that can be punished. And we do have processes for those situations. And some of the major examples um, uh, include uh, speech that meets the legal definition of harassment, such as sexual harassment, uh, speech that establishes a physical threat towards a specific individual, um, and also uh, speech that that uh, would provoke someone to commit an act of, of violence. Um, uh, again, there's more details uh, that you can see on that, that um, website. Um, uh, all of these have very strict legal, legal definitions. Um, they, they have to be met. If a case comes to the university, there will actually be a legal analysis to determine whether the speech is protected or not. Um, uh, there are kinds of speech, even if they are offensive or abhorrent, that are protected by the First Amendment and can't be punished under the Leonard Law. That we have to recognize that. Um, and uh, uh, and as your question implies, this this actually often occurs on social media. Um, uh, that can be particularly challenging because on social media, uh, people can be emboldened to post repeatedly. Uh, they can you know post anonymously. It can spread rapidly. Um, so I think what's really important to know is that um, uh, even if, uh, if speech that is, is hurtful or offensive can't be punished uh, because it falls into one of those categories of protected speech, we want to support students who are, are negatively affected by the, the speech. Um, and in fact, we've been working on this to make this clear, to make our systems more robust, uh, uh, hopefully, uh, you and the listeners uh, saw earlier this week um, uh, the the rollout of uh, a process that's been renamed. Uh, it's it's called the Protected Identity Harm Reporting Process, and and the process is there to report and to respond to speech that's hurtful uh, to people because of their identity. Um, uh, again, the Daily I think had a really good article on it. Uh, we also um, uh, wrote about it in a Stanford report. And maybe I can make a, a few points about that. Um, uh, first, that it, it came out of a series of working groups that involve students. Um, the, also, the, the, the focus really is on providing support for the person um, who is impacted or the community that's impacted. And it has a, a menu of options for restorative actions. Um, in cases where it's appropriate, it also has an on-ramp to a judicial process. Um, and so it allows us to really provide support that's tailored to the circumstances. Um, sometimes we'll judge that it's important to speak to our entire community. In other cases, um, the support that's needed uh, uh, may be best to provide it in other ways, privately to uh, an individual or a group. 
Um, so it's really a case-by-case -case basis, and this new process helps guide our actions uh, with the help of those uh, who uh, are reporting and responding um, to that speech. Awesome. Thank you so much. Now I kind of want to shift to a future forward vision and ask you how you see Stanford's role when it comes to questions of free speech in an increasingly divisive nation and world. Yeah, uh, well, the, I think we, we look at it uh, in two ways. One is for our, our, um, our, our campus community, and then we extend that uh, to the rest of the world. Uh, you know, the, the, um, uh, we do have a role to play that's so important precisely to foster the kind of environment where we overcome those divisions, where people can have um, uh, uh, real conversations, debates, discourse, even if they disagree. Um, the, uh, uh, I think we need to model a community in which people can disagree without being disagreeable. And, and there are a few things I'd say about that for our campus community. Um, you know, a few weeks ago in my convocation addresses, uh, both to the freshman class and, and to the sophomore class, I urge students to engage each other with curiosity, not condescension. And I, I wanna reiterate this here. I hope not just the freshmen and sophomores, but also the juniors and seniors who are, are listening will we'll, we'll take this, um, uh, this plea, this advice to, to heart. Please engage with your fellow students uh, with curiosity. Um, and uh, the, the second thing, um, uh, just to reaffirm uh, uh, what I think is such a foundational point is that um, uh, we really have to uh, um, uh, discourage and uh, speech that has the effect of silencing speech. Uh, this can be a subtle effect. Um, it can be um, a very dramatic effect. Doxing is an extreme example uh, where uh, people uh, might get silenced. And speech that's intended to silence or shut down others whether it's done in a, a subtle form by shaming people or, or making them feel uncomfortable um, or um, uh, in a more dramatic form like doxing shouldn't be acceptable in any way in our community. That should be our norm, uh, something that all of us, uh, that uh, I, um, you, the, the listeners have a collective responsibility uh, to nurture. And, and the correct response to speech that we disagree with is to use more speech. So I, I also wanna encourage everybody to use more speech. Ask the other student why they're saying what they're saying. Try to understand their position. Maybe they'll persuade you, maybe you will persuade them. Uh, but that is the kind of community that we have to aspire to. One where we can have vigorous debates, but where we do it in a way that does not shut down speech, that uh, uh, enables people to make their points, to hear others, uh, and to think through what their position is on things, to persuade or to be persuaded. The, this is for our community, and I think we have to uphold this, and by modeling it on our community, I think we can have the effect that you, you asked about, which is to affect society more broadly. Of course, by um, uh, uh, helping uh, prepare our students uh, to interact in that way with one another here, so when they go out in the world, they'll seek to interact with others in that way, but also because uh, our country looks to, to us and they look at what happens on our campuses. And if they see that we are having robust, vigorous debate with people from different backgrounds, with different points of view, coming together in a respectful manner to uh, tackle the great issues of the day, that has a profound effect on society as a whole. So I think the most important thing that we should do is really model that community here on campus, and that will reverberate through society more broadly.
broadly. Yeah, thank you so much. And we just have one final question for you. Um, I was wondering what you saw as, or what do you see as the greatest challenges we face when it comes to the issue of free speech and how do you think Stanford can overcome them? I, I think the, the, um, the greatest challenges are um, that uh, the society as a whole is pushing us towards division. Um, a lot of that in, involves um, dehumanizing individuals, treating them as the other. Uh, I think the most important thing for us to do, it's essential for our mission, it's essential, I believe, for the health of our nation as a whole, is to come together and model that respectful discourse among individuals. And that requires uh, humanizing our interactions. It's so important for people to meet others. It's so important for these conversations to occur in person in many cases. One of the, the big problems with social media is that uh, people are just, you know, um, uh, uh, you know, some lines of text or you know, something on Instagram. They aren't seen as the person that they are. Um, so I think bringing people together um, uh, to, uh, uh, to humanize the interactions so people can see that, wow, there's a really smart person over there who has a different point of view from what I have. Um, uh, why is that? Um, maybe they have a good point. Maybe they don't. Maybe I can persuade them. To uh, do create uh, uh, opportunities for students to come together is so important. Uh, that's why, and we need to do that at multiple levels. That is part of the idea behind the college curriculum, where all the freshmen um, uh, have to engage uh, with uh, uh, other freshmen in debating um, what it means to be a citizen, to tackle these issues of free speech uh, and inclusion uh, in the classroom, and to hear from others in the classroom setting um, uh, with you know, brilliant faculty who can help in the discussion uh, it can help open people's minds. It can help nurture those interactions. That's one of the things that we're doing. So we have to do it in the classroom. We have to do it outside the classroom as well. I'm really excited that the neighborhoods provide opportunities for people to come together um, to do so many things, uh, you know, for community building, for student support, but yes, also for intellectual engagement around issues where people might disagree. But by doing it in a community where people will get to know one another, they can build mutual respect. So if someone has a different point of view, they'll be open to hearing from them. So I think the, the curriculum um, is so important. I think the, uh, the new neighborhoods uh, out, that have come out of ResX are so important. That's why I'm so excited about them, uh, in addition to all the other benefits that, that, that flow from them. We also have to do things at a university-wide level. I'm really excited that there are a number of student organizations like Stanford and government that organize debates where they bring together um, you know, experts uh, on really important issues, but experts who have different points of view to model that kind of uh, respectful discourse and engagement and students can see it and participate in it. So I think we have to do it um, in the classroom, we have to do it uh, at the level of our, uh, our residences and we have to do it more broadly within the university. And I see that as a major responsibility for us as a university to pursue those avenues and add to them year in, year out so we can create that community that we all aspire to. Great. Well, thank you so, so much. That's all we have for today. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. It's been great to talk to you and we hope you have a great rest of your day. Great. Cameron, Georgia, thank you so much. I really appreciate it and uh, look forward to future conversations. This episode was produced by Lorenzo Del Rosario and Chloe Mendoza. Special thanks to News Emmys, Cameron Pack and Georgia Rosenberg for hosting this series. I'm Lorenzo Del Rosario, the managing editor for Volume 260. 
For more Ask the Admin episodes and other podcasts by the Stanford Daily, visit stanforddaily.com slash category slash podcasts.